So how do you think it went last week? Pretty good, I think. I think I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is that is definitely the case. I swung from I hate it to I love it back again about twice. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to know what would what whether it's any good or not. So we'll find out. We haven't released it yet, so we'll find out after the third. We're going to do three sort of pilot episodes. So, yeah. So if you're listening, then potentially we've done all three. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Um, so hopefully that's good. So. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to follow up on from last week? Now we've listened to it back a couple of times. Not really. No, sorry to be <laughs> the damp. I know you did. That's okay. That's good. I, was, I was taking a small drink of juice there, so I, I used it as a good excuse. Non-diet Coke product. Um, <laughs> I did have a few things. I don't know whether this will stir your mm-hmm. uh, memory or not, but we should do them anyway. Um, a few things I had here. It was mainly on the second Set, uh, the second topic we spoke about, which was on the PC stuff. Okay. I think we were just getting a bit tired by the end, so I forgot some of the arguments <laughs> I actually wanted to make. Um, so the first one was the uh, developer edition of uh, the Dell XPS. So the one that you can buy from Dell that actually has Ubuntu in it natively. Oh, yes. Uh, you, I think you asked me about whether I'd pick a Linux install or not. And I said no mainly because I thought it would be a bit of a pain, I think is what I said. Yeah. Because, it, you know, it's not going to sleep properly and stuff. But I believe that that one product there is specifically designed to be fully supported by Dell. Yeah. Um, so it could be an option and, sh- and should be probably considered. Yeah, I think, yeah. Just say that, yeah, even if you're going to run Windows on it, it's nice to know that you could. Yeah, exactly. So you, I, mean, I imagine in that situation, you'd probably dual boot. Yeah. But you at least you know Ubuntu is going to work and they've got all the right drivers. Yeah, that That's cool. the big problem, I think. Well done, Dell. Yeah. That's good I, I assume it's still available. It definitely was a big thing a couple of years ago. Yeah, I feel like it's lost steam a little bit because I yeah. just haven't read much about it. But I, I wonder if Bash on Windows has sort of killed that off a bit. Maybe. Well, they're still not the same. So no, I imagine. that's true. I don't know. Um, the other thing then was, uh, again, on that, that topic is around the... Re- repair process of mac versus dell which we <laughs> spoke about yesterday and actually um something that i think is not great so the mac the mac the apple store experience when you want to go in and get something fixed is just a bit rubbish should we talk about the missus experience <laughs> yeah which actually i don't think was that bad i've heard of worse i mean there's two things that are going on at the moment one is in the us right the apple geniuses uh basically just making stuff up and being like you should just buy a new laptop <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know if you saw that. I, yeah, I have seen a few um, things, yeah. So there's that. And then, yeah, um, my other half had to get her MacBook Pro re- hard drive repaired because of the... It was in, in a, one of their replacement programs. There was a potential issue of data loss with the hard drive. So they fixed that. Um, but that went okay. It's more... It, the biggest issue for her was more getting an appointment. So so yeah. she was looking and they only do a week... They only do appointments a week in advance. Mm-hmm. And they're always all sold out. So you always have basically seven days time and then not a lot of choice. So yeah. you look today, the next one's probably going to be in a week's t- like in seven days time. There's none between now and seven days time. Oh, we were talking about this before, but poss- I don't know if that's true and probably not. I'd imagine that's not the case in the States, maybe. But we, we were saying in London where we live, there's only four Apple stores. Yeah. And that's not enough <laughs> for like yeah. a city with 10 million people or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've had the same experience. It's shocking. How how long did she end up waiting in the store? She probably was there about an hour, I would guess. It's not too bad. So I- they knew they knew, because it was a it wasn't like 
I don't know what's wrong with it. Fix it. It was a. Uh, I'm here for the the replacement. The yeah, yeah, yeah. under the the extended program to replace uh, upgrade the firmware. Yeah. Now the other benefit was is that we have I have a Synology NAS here that can act as a time machine. Um, time machine so girl. she time machined it, and it actually recovered. Took it when I mean, it went overnight, but it basically did start again as if nothing had happened. So that was quite impressive. That's good. Um, so from that point of view, it was alright. But having had experience with Dell, as an example, I mean, they will do if you if you're willing to pay for it. Of course, they will do next working day to your house yeah. to come and repair stuff, which I think is very nice. And I think. Yeah, is- particularly as a professional developer if you're working from home i think having that optionality you know and they don't even have to come to your house you can say come to this address so when i used to work at a previous place i had an old laptop that might be when i was an intern actually it broke and i said can you just come to work and, just- and fix it there and they were like yeah no problem and they did yeah that's awesome. day. So that's pretty cool um but there's a cost involved in that it's not sort of built in i think that's probably i think if you're if you are a professional mm. Like I think we were talking about it, my Mac Touchwood has not broken for th- three years. Yeah, and I think if it did break with something that was non-trivial and not in a holiday, which let's face like most of the time, I think I would probably just buy another one. Yeah, <laughs> and then get the old one repaired and then sell it. Well, because they were saying I think yesterday they if they couldn't have done the firmware fix which they did in store they would it would take it would be a 5 day turnaround to yeah, replace the hard drive not okay yeah. if it's your job and you need that thing which most people do so you you pretty much it's kind of a but you know they are pro laptops so um they they have pro in the name yeah so, yeah, yeah, yeah so just pro deal with it you just got to yeah you have to um, be without it for 5 days like like any pro just take a holiday pro holiday a week a week <laughs> yeah, just take i a assume week it's 5 working days as well yeah yeah so, so it must be like 7 days yeah anyway uh, so that's a big one. I know, I'm surprised actually that Apple have never changed that. I think going into store, it would it would make a lot of sense, particularly in big cities like this, to just have a few people on the ground that could go could to people's house. Anything, yeah. Or yeah, we'll yeah, come. Yeah, like in yeah. in a small area. If if they said to me, we'll we'll come and fix it, and someone will probably be able to fix it there and then. I mean, they can't always say that. Yeah. Or even just bring bring the replacement laptop. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Just so they've got that in that back pocket. If they were like. Well, you will come out, and it will cost like two or three hundred quid. If if it's like for me, it's like a day's like contract work. Yeah, that's like that's probably worth it. I guess it comes down to as well how repairable Dell laptops are, because Dell. I mean, well, I say that the particularly the business ones. I mean, they you can replace any component. Yeah, Max, not so much. No, not that. And I guess I think there are definitely some Dells now, like the XPS ones. I think that have that same problem but i know all the business ones you know they have manuals that they actively publish to be like this is how you take it apart i mean i wouldn't even mind if they just gave me another one i guess with a laptop more than a phone it's annoying as long as the t- as long as you have time machine or something then i guess you're fine yeah yeah I, I i just don't know like if you don't have a nas like mine or yeah like one like that can you time machine to any device i guess not <sighs> I don't know if you can just like have a Windows machine in the corner and time change. Yeah, I think I've done that. it a long time ago, but I gave up. But to be honest, I now use MacUp, which I think I mentioned before in the last show. But it it just it just backs up all my dot whatever files to Dropbox, and that yeah. and then I just reinstall everything from scratch, which is yeah. it does take a bit. But you can probably get up and running in like an hour because mm. you just install like. I guess you just install things as you need them. Yeah. Yeah, and and you've got the configs there, so when you install them, it's all like. And obviously, most code is in 
version control. So. Yeah. And then there's the only things I have on my computer as a purist developer. So yeah, just 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 code. So. I think for my other half, it's more difficult because she's a UX designer. She has a lot of files that yeah. aren't checked in. Yeah, I mean they are on like Google Drive, but yeah, the setup is a pain. I, I Those guess files are big as well. Yeah. They're like hundreds of megs sketch yeah. files. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's something else. Uh. The other thing I realised I didn't do or I I forgot was I didn't actually say why I didn't like macOS. Oh. Really. I don't think I did. Hit us with it. <laughs> well, I don't think I have a good. I don't think I have a good enough answer. Oh, you you reason. did mention a bit. You said um, you 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 showed some disdain for the fact that the command line utils aren't consistent with yeah, UX. Yeah, that, that is that is one that annoys me on me. Yeah, and I think as well, and I think I suppose actually thinking about it now, we might just have to cut this out. But we we're talking about the memory usage being a bit fat, and yeah, I guess that was that. Maybe there isn't much else I wanted to add there. <laughs> thinking about it now out loud but anyway let's move on from that one um so the, the other one was i think we both agreed that we didn't like c++ but we didn't again say why yeah um do you have a, uh, a a way of saying why you dislike c++ i had a chat today at the tea point with my with the bloke who sits opposite me the rocket man the rocket man he was today um building the firmware like the speedo for a car uh, and he showed me the physical speedo in real life. What, that he's which programming? Is awesome. Yeah, no, he's, he's, <laughs> this guy, he's like my hero. Um, yeah, and uh, I, I build crappy web apps. <laughs> That's basically what I was saying. But um, he, yeah, so he, I was chatting to him about it. I don't know, I don't know if I have a particular, I hear that the language features, it's, it's been up, updated yeah. pretty regularly. Yeah. I feel like the barrier to entry with it is, frankly horrendous it looks yeah. it looks terrifying and it looks it, yeah it's quite um i don't know if verbose is like the word i'd use but the language is so the way, the way i think about it is having seen it a bit more recently is it's basically it's very open-ended you can do whatever you want yeah like it, it anything you feel like you're inhibited with if you're doing something like java which you might do. Yeah. You don't you you can literally do anything with C. And it won't the other thing it doesn't do like Java is protect you from very much. So like for example, I was do I'm doing some open source stuff at the moment at work and um writing a C library for KDB. Mm-hmm. Um and I was getting this weird error and I was like, what the hell's going on here? And then I asked one of the C guys and he was like, Oh yeah, I would probably interpret that as you've got a string as a pointer, but it doesn't have a null terminated character. So it's just reading off the end until it finds one. And then you're getting just some garbage from oh memory. Yeah, that's and you're like, and I was like, what? Why Why is it? I've just asked for a string. Why is it not a string? Yeah. And he was like, oh, we well, need to tell it how long the string is. I'm like, well, can't it do that for me? Yeah, no, that is... apparently not. So it kind of, so I was like, it's just those sort of things that you're like, oh, it's clearly trying to be, it's obviously very, very flexible. But you're losing a lot with that, and the errors as well are. Yeah. The compiler errors are better than I think we they used to be, or they're better in C plus plus than they are in C. You, you used to have to basically maintain a memory map in your mind of like when it says this, it actually means mm. this. Is it still? Is it changed? Yeah, it's still like that because the way I think they built C plus. I don't know a lot of the detail, but I think the way they built C plus plus on top of C means that when it's compiling you don't get like the class isn't the obvious class it's like all the types have lots of like prefix bits to it that are sort of describing the method 
Okay. So you know, like in Java, you you have a way of defining the method program. Like it's like when you use J and I, you're like, oh, the method is method name is method, and then it takes uh, three integers. So then it's like I I I, and it's a vo- it's a void returning function. So then you've got a V. Mm-hmm. Oh then, yeah. There's like a method yeah, uh, yeah. description in like a, a single string. It does that everywhere in C So when you see the error, it's like, oh, method. Does underscore underscore no it does give it in there but because it's got all this sort of other characters around it yeah. it's like underscore underscore c plus plus underscore standard underscore string underscore basic string because that's actually the implementing class yeah. you're like where the hell is this talking about and the references in the file are not the line numbers at least by default it's like text it's giving you like an address offset from where it was going to build the code and stuff and you're just like this is awful so you have to rather than it just being I can look at it and know what the problem is you have to actually read and understand them I guess the thing with languages like that is if you are an absolute pro that's been doing it for 10 years yeah. that probably all melts away and so when you're when they're listening to us talking about this now they'll be like oh, you know that's not they don't even see that when they see that you know their brain just bridges that gap whereas for you and I we're just used to the language like yeah. giving us sensible error messages and not having to say how long a string is yeah I mean that is so I think I think the the reason I don't the reason I don't like it even though I'm trying to use it a little bit is just you have you have to just you have to just deal with a lot more yourself. Mm. You have to think about is this string terminated? You have to think about is this um object going to be uh, available, you know, referenceable or whatever they the it's got to be in scope and, and not de- not uninitialized before it's been used. Right. You know, you're memory you're managing these individual objects and making sure they're alive long enough to be referenced later on. Right. And so you, you know, you can't just say, Oh, if I create this object, it will stay and get automatically cleaned up because you don't get that, obviously. You're yeah, like, yeah. I have to create this object, keep track of this object, and then somehow know when it's done to then remove it, or else you've just got a huge memory leak. And there are obviously some things you can that some problems you might want to solve, like deter, like more deterministic running times, it's probably pretty good at because you're mm. managing your own memory. So if you want to know that a program's never going to stop for garbage collection, yeah. and C++ is still, which for like real-time trading and all those sorts of like, maybe just even just sort of any kind of events processing-y kind of things is probably pretty good. Yeah, I, th- I think at the point where, so what's interesting I think about that is I think if you're thinking about optimizing Java to not garbage collect, mm-hmm. At that point, the difference between Java and C++ it probably isn't that far away. No. The difference is, is how quickly you get to the point where you're like, now I need to optimize. Yeah. Whereas I think with C++, you start, from, you, start, you start that process from the start. With Java, you can be like, let's just build something that works. Yeah. And then you go, oh, let's have a look at the profile here. Oh, my God, it's garbage collecting every 10 seconds because I'm yeah. leaking a load of stuff. And we actually had that issue. There's a there's a there's one of the guys at my current place has spent a lot of time optimizing um we we use this t- uh, software called Aeron, A E R O N, mm-hmm. which is like a reliable multicast mm-hmm. uh, system. So you run this Aeron media driver, they call it, on each server, and you talk to it locally by IPC. So there's no network, no networking involved. But then across servers, it's maintaining these connections and making sure that everything gets to where it needs to be. But it's UDP but reliable, so it deals with that retransmission. Right. So everything's sent over UDP. Yeah, but reliably. But reliably, so you get certain guarantees that messages will definitely get there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the media driver itself is written in Java. So we've had that issue where it it is garbage collecting. And so misses it, a message. And... Well, it doesn't miss a message, but then you get a huge lag. Right. So that, that we're using air on between our um, sort of 
exchange interface process and our order accepting process. Yeah. So then there's a, there's a garbage collection in the time that so the message gets sent out, but it's garbage collecting. So you you have a delay of say 100 milliseconds. Right. But you're we're required by the exchange to respond within 300 milliseconds. Say. Right. And if you don't, then it gets rejected. God, that sounds that sounds terrifying. Yeah. So like you so then it's you like need it to work. Yeah. So then you're like, oh, now the fact that it's in Java is a problem. Yeah. So then you know it weighs up there. But I think there are very you know in the whole grand scheme of issue you know programming things that you want to do i guess for me where i'd pick c++ would be a very small percentage of that yes yeah yeah that's why that's how i see it like if you're writing f- like something that needs like to res- to def- to have a very low probability of not responding within a certain period at certain period of time then c++ that is particularly strong there i mm-hmm. think if you have like masses of data then something like you know memory garbage collected language memory managed is it memory managed is that what they say but like c c sharp or java or go or whatever you want to use that will probably that you'll get a few pauses but like who cares if if it's like a few hundred milliseconds and you're just doing something that takes like 10 seconds it's not really going to matter so yeah i guess that is the the place where it's still i yeah i do the thing is as well though i don't know enough about it to know because i know there's like boost that's yeah. a big thing. You, well, know. they were so interestingly they've moved away from Boost a little bit, and there's another one called Ace. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's part of Boost, but they, uh, the C plus plus expert in my company, um, has made an effort to move away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the reasons behind that, but that's we'll just say that's what he's decided to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So that was that was it. I just wanted to say. It's easy to be like, I don't like X without at least trying to justify our position, which I feel like we've done there. Um, Okay, the final one, and then we will stop and move on. Um, There was a point you made when I was listening back to the first episode about uh, parentheses. And A, I misunderstood round brackets and and curly brackets, which was problem number one. Extremely embarrassing. After we got through that, (laughs) minor issue. Um, (laughs) There was actually a point that I, after I sort of died of embarrassment listening to this on, (laughs) on, 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 on the tube, um, so what was interesting about KDB I wanted to say about this is that so KDB they developers made a decision to make it right to left evaluated Ooh. so the real the weird benefit of doing that is that you need a lot fewer brackets to make a statement make sense so let me just see if I've got this right so if you if you're say for example and anding two things so that they're, they're like and operator ambassand ambassand mm-hmm. And you wanted to say X, ampersand, ampersand, Y, ampersand, ampersand, Z. Yeah. You, that would be about, so Z, it would go Z, Y, X. It would go from yes. right to left. Yeah. And it also does it in the case of mathematical operators. So it doesn't follow the standard mathematical operators. Dear God. Which sounds like a pain, but when you see it, you get used to it. In my head now, I don't think I can... I feel like I know I, I would write stuff right to left evaluated more than following the standard mathematical do you, Do you think that this means that you're, you could potentially learn uh, one of the languages? Is it like Arabic goes from right yeah, to left? Maybe, do you think, maybe, do you think you'd just be like, this is completely fine? Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's weird. Like For a long time, it grated with me. And then um, being able to write... Uh, um, expressions where you don't have to bracket actually makes things a lot clearer. So is it expression evaluation goes from right to left or are there times 
It's always right to left. It's always right to left. What about like within a, within a uh, so like an if statement? It's always gonna. It's obviously got to evaluate the if condition, mm-hmm. and it'll evaluate that condition right to left, and then it will execute each line right to left. Do you have say like function parameters? Can you call functions in it? Do mm-hmm. they? Do the function parameters still go left to right? Yeah. So, so. yeah. So if you had a uh, yeah. So if you had th- you'd have three arguments and you'd still pass them in a standard way. You'd, the yeah, leftmost yeah. is the first. Second one is the but second. But within, so within, gosh. So it's kind of, yeah, okay. So it's just all the infix operators, is that the technical term? So the, the operators which go in between two things, yeah. they all go right to left. No exceptions? Yeah. Nope. That is a bit mental. But the other thing is they've made brackets generally optional. Right. So, for example, you use square brackets to signal arguments for a function. So rather than round brackets in Java. That's a good idea. Yeah, but if the if the function only takes one argument, you can just omit the square brackets and it behaves the same way. Yeah, okay. Python kind of has that. Does it? With a spe- it used to. I think it's maybe discouraged now, but yeah. you used to say like print space, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's, so for Part logging, like it's that. quite nice. Yeah. Um, and it means... Yeah, I don't know. It, you know, we could. I think we, we're probably going to separately have a, a more in-depth discussion about KDE. Um, but I did want to mention that that is interesting. And initially, it, it sounds ridiculous, but um, maybe when we do that in-depth walk walkthrough, I, I can show you some and yeah. have some for you know in a, in a my mind in the show. Blown. Yeah, but yeah, that, that was that really. Um, so that's it from my follow-up. What are we talking about today? According to this, <laughs> <laughs> this official document, yeah, uh, we're going to talk about JavaScript. Oh yes, uh, I put in brackets after JavaScript in our notes. Why the love? Why there's a question mark? Because yeah. I don't, I don't like JavaScript. I'll put my initial <laughs> point there, and obviously you, Rich, um, yeah. spend your life in it. Yeah, I do. I spent. We should probably explain how much time have you spent in JavaScript, roughly. I'm guessing not. Uh, I know JavaScript. I know JavaScript, the language, I would say very, very well, but I've never done any uh, serious JavaScript development in the way that I think a lot of people are doing now. Kind of the ecosystem or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So, you know, when I was the last time, at the point where I was a serious, I seriously knew what I was doing in JavaScript, jQuery was the big thing. Yeah. So that's what, five years ago? Yeah. I remember... When we were at university, we did a project with a friend of ours. And yeah. You guys did all the JavaScript, and I remember feeling really confused the entire time. And now, ironically, I work in JavaScript, and you two don't. And I, it's like my thing. Yeah, that's true. Funny how things have changed. But, so but yeah, so so I think I know I know JavaScript's changed a lot since then. Yeah. Um, and nothing particularly fills me with confidence about it, or makes me want to jump <laughs> ship. Uh, for a number of reasons, and you know, we're recording this. At the end of November, so um, we'll we'll mention one topic in specific specifically that has come up this more to do with the package. ecosystem yeah. than than JavaScript itself. Although JavaScript itself, you know, if anybody reads Programmer Humor on Reddit, I mean, every other joke is about the ridiculousness of JavaScript. Yeah. Um, but okay, so I mean, I've, I've I've given my intro. What do you think about JavaScript? Or what would you? Where would you start if I said to you, why do you like JavaScript? Ooh. So, I, how long have I? I should probably say how long I've spent with it. About four, four years mm-hmm. professionally. And I would say I was about the same as you before that. I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, so, what was the question? How would it? Well, I, well, I, 
Why do I like it? Well, why? there's two issues, right? You, you do, I guess you do JavaScript because you make websites yeah. and there's no real other alternative. No, no, yeah, yeah. So I guess the first question is, even though you use it every day, do you actually like the language? Yes. I guess when you say, like, when we talk about, like, JavaScript, there is the language, like a programming language, which yeah. is literally what it means. But then there's obviously also, like, what I would call the ecosystem. So the package manager, which is... And then also Node, which is obviously sort of JavaScript. But for those of you that don't know, Node is the sort of server-side runtime. So you can run JavaScript programs on the command line, basically. Um, so I, what I really like about JavaScript is the community and the other tools and the libraries. It's but The language itself was a mess. Was definitely 2012, 13, just an absolute mess. Um, now the cutting edge, I think, is perfectly fine. Like I think it's, I think it's pretty good. It's, uh, it's. I wouldn't say it's drastically better than any other language. I would say it's, it holds its own. It's as good as another modern language. I wouldn't say it was much better than worse than I don't know whatever like something like Python or. Trying to think what else there is. Scala has too many features, probably, but it has a lot of features that a lot of other languages have now. Yeah, um, and what is that? Is that ES seven? I don't even know. Yeah, ES two thousand and twenty. No, I don't, I don't know. Oh, what they go by year now. They go. Uh, they, no, they go by year, and the years offset. It's confusing. E- ES six is what people normally refer to it as, but I, I genuinely, I sort of mean somewhere between ES6 and 7 I think for the days conversations right okay so like say so that so the yeah and I think it's the ecosystem that draws me in but oddly I was drawn in by another ecosystem which really reminds me of this one before which was Ruby on Rails which was something I learned I didn't I worked professionally with for about a year and a half before I came to JavaScript and that was before that I was a big enterprise kind of I did a lot of Java and C sharp yeah. And those are really different to Ruby on Rails and again really different to Node. And it feels a lot like the momentum from Ruby on Rails as the sting's been taken out of it. I mean, I'm sure there are maybe some Ruby on Rails programmers listening, but the one listener might program in Ruby on Rails, but Ruby on Rails HMRC person. Yeah. Yes, yes, Philip Hammond who likes <laughs> Ruby on Rails. But the yeah, I think a lot of that momentum's moved to JavaScript now. And it's to do with libraries and open source and how many GitHub projects there are compared to something like Java that makes me like it. I, I also have to say that maybe not so much now, but still now, but not so much. I actually find it quite, it's exciting. It changes all the time, which is, is a big downside, but also you don't, you know, you don't know when you're going to wake up in the morning and the, there are like new things being created all the time. And we went through a very intense period of change, which I feel like we're mainly through now for sort of the last two or three years where a li- an idea or a library would come out and then everyone would be like this is great and then something else would come out and everyone was like this is great let's trash the old thing yeah. and I think like build systems like oh it's an God. example we had like Grunt then Gulp then Webpack probably in the space of like two years and basically I started doing projects with Grunt then I started doing them with Gulp then but now Webpack is sort of stuck for a year or two for that sort of thing but a lot of that's those that pain is going away as well so Oh yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. I mean, whether we come to it now or later, I think the ecosystem is, I think potentially the biggest weakness of JavaScript at the moment, right? Like it's a, it's a strength and a weakness because I think I I've put a, I put a link in our little notes that we had here of a, of a 
a programmer humor joke I saw earlier, but it wasn't a joke necessarily, but it was it was a a picture of a Twitter uh, thread where somebody was like, you know, there's a there's a node or an npm package for is even, which yeah. literally all it does is give you yeah, a function yeah, yeah. is even, and that has like two hundred and fifty million uses. Yeah, and you're like, and then it's like is odd. And but is even depends on is odd because it's like is even is is not is odd and it's like and you're like I can believe that yeah. yeah yeah and it's that sort of stuff that you're like okay clearly I, I guess a lot of it is people have embraced I guess npm makes it easy to import node uh, to import other modules and then it's just got to a sort of silly state where people just import everything rather than even considering writing it themselves so npm. I'm, I feel like I'm going to say a lot of controversial things in this in this segment, but npm is the best package manager I've ever used. Ruby Gems is the second best, and everything else I don't even have ranked in my mind. But I like I think they're both very good. But npm I think is it's not. I actually use yarn, not npm, but we can get into that. But mm. that but it is in terms of ease of use compared to I've used maven and gradle quite a lot and nuget which is actually probably near the bottom of my list in my opinion i find that one difficult to use but um it's just very i think partially because it's just the people using this stuff perhaps weren't the they weren't they don't come from an enterprise background so they've they sort of almost maybe they've been forced to make it a little bit easier but it's just easy and it's it works pretty well. NPM does have some problem. Yarn, yarn is the one to use at the moment, but that it changes, <laughs> it changes a bit. But but NPM, it, yeah, but it makes it really easy to publish packages. And then there was a there was a package called LeftPad, which yeah padded. What did, what did that? Do you remember what that did? It's something to do with strings. Ridiculously simple. Yeah, it's something. Yeah, it's something like it takes a string and adds a certain number of characters to the left or something yeah, yeah. which again was used by millions of other things and then the maintainer deleted his repo his, the yeah he deleted it from npm yeah so then anything that used that transitively broke and it basically just broke the everything <laughs> just yeah, like yeah almost if you had a product project that depended on a thing it probably depended on left pad and left pad was no longer there so when you ran npm install to install your dependencies it was game over yeah and there was one this week which was very similar that broke. Was well, it was it didn't break right, but there was actually a backdoor added. Yeah, so somebody to event stream. I think the name of the package. Yeah, yeah. So there's a package called event stream, which I think is used in Node. Uh, and there's a really uh, popular package called Nodemon, which I know that I use and a lot of people use, and that uses event stream. Event right. stream uses another thing, which I've forgotten the name of, and that was the one that. Well, no, that was added in. So it didn't have any, de- it didn't, whatever dependency. Oh, they added a dependency. He added it in and the dependency was encrypted. So they just were like, whatever. And then, but it was actually within that encrypted added package that yeah. um, it was partic- it was uh, attacking uh, one of the Bitcoin wallets explicitly. Yeah. Whatever it was called. Um, and so there's, there's the thing, right? I would agree with what you said and it, it's going to sound potentially snobbish but i feel like the people who wrote npm weren't necessarily uh computer scientists or probably were but yeah i know what you mean it's but there's not... that feeling that it's it's they've gone what is the simplest way to do this without considering any of the real life maintainability of these projects right yes left pad is an example of that i, I think this this one is a separate issue because i think this is an issue where um a guy open source something and then was like, I don't want to, I don't want to maintain this anymore. 
random person X volunteers and he goes, yeah, that's great. I mean, I don't have to worry about it anymore. And, and there's the, not much you can do about that. No, and then the random dude uh, added a malicious dependence. But the issue there is, I guess, is that you've got, you're in this situation where it's so easy to bring things in and the transitive dependencies is such a mess that you have no idea when yeah. you're running it, when you're building a project, what what packages you're actively using, right? So so NPM is a... Um is a command line thing like a package manager so you you run you you have npm installed on your machine and then the command line you run like npm install and then it looks in a particular file and downloads all that stuff but npm is also a website where people can publish their packages and the two things work yes. together so you can run like i think it's like npm publish to publish a package and so what they i mean i'm sure other people have things like that but basically and i'm sure they must have copied what a lot of other people have done in other package managers but they made something which was ve- made it very easy to publish packages. And then I guess as a result of that, people have published all sorts of random and wonderful packages and then depended on them. And when you depend on something, you end up depending on a lot of other things and you don't really actually know what open source software you're... You don't you know what things you're depending on directly, yeah. but the things those... The transitive dependencies, the things that those things depend on, you've got no clue. And so on Monday, when I oh, Tuesday, when I came into work, I ran... A yarn on npm install or a yarn install on my project it just didn't work because npm had deleted this malicious package and i right. was dependent on it but i had no idea and then i googled it found github and how far down your transitive dependencies was that dependent at least three right so not it wasn't a direct depend because it was so i don't depend on event stream is it called mm. don't depend on that directly yeah so it must it, it's either it's something which depends on that, and it could be something it could be too deep. So yeah, yeah, I think it's like so. I know having used Maven and published stuff to Maven Central, which is the Java equivalent. Yeah, um, I guess the biggest uh, issue to doing that, or the biggest blocker, is you have to use GPG. You have to cryptographically sign every package. Yeah, so I guess with npm, you don't, right? You log Sign into up. their site and then you're logged in as your user. So they've basically done that like in the cl- in the cloud. But you could just register as a made up person. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, and there's no. Yeah, and, it, and to be fair, you can do that with GPG. I mean, there's no yeah, there's no yeah, authentication yeah. with GPG. It, All it's it, telling is the person who who set up the Maven pack Maven uh, package. You're just saying, I'm definitely that person. Yeah. That's all you can say, right? Yeah, yeah. So nobody can publish something on your behalf. But I guess no, you couldn't do that in NPM either, right? Because no. you have to, well, unless I give you my login details, yeah. you can't do it, right? You can transfer a package to another user, I yeah. think, which is what happened in this case, I think. So yeah. so it's, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a very good package manager in general. It does have some issues, but it, it makes publishing packages very easy it makes consuming them very easy the website is i've got a couple of things that annoy me about it but it's a in term compared to like the competition is not strong on this count if you if you look at like maven repositories that they're, they're, they're a disaster in comparison to them but what, why why I, I personally don't see anything wrong with maven i haven't looked at it for many years but like does it have so like, but what do you like about the npm manager apart from the fact you can do npm install so you can so you can search for packages on the on npm. So npm's website's very pretty good, right? As a package manager website compared to like Maven's website, it's like I'm thinking of the thing is it's not completely fair because I'm thinking of Maven from like four or five years ago. 
that. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's changed that much in that time. So but. you can search for the packages. You can you tend to be able to find them pretty easily, and then the package pages themselves look pretty nice. And then the readme.md goes on that page, so mm. you can see like the instructions for installing it or whatever it is the developers put. And then there's a link to the GitHub there uh, by default, so you can orbit bucket, I guess. But and you can so you can go to the repo, and it's all just there. You can see what the latest version is. You can't see what the previous versions are, which I find very irritating. But um, and there's no links to like the release notes. So there's like things they could definitely like make a bit better. But it's it's just easy and quite straightforward. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, the other thing with npm as well is it's kind of a build system as well, which a lot of these tools like Maven and Gradle are the same. They're they're kind of a dependency management system, but they also let you. They have plugins, right? They sort of have yeah. I mean, Maven terms they have plugins, and npm has the concept of a script where you can say I'm going to be able to run npm run something and then you can basically run any kind of bash commands i suppose or whatever mm. terminal you have you can run those things yeah. there and that's so when your buddy checks out your project they there'll be something called like npm run start and that will do whatever needs to get done to like run the things mm. it is it's just in terms of developer friendliness it's it's very good like i i haven't used anything that's close to how good it is it supports modules which are also binary executables so um, i'm trying to think of a good prettier we were talking about last week that's a binary executable so you can npm install it globally and then you can run prettier yeah but you can also npm install it in your project and then there's a special folder which is like node underscore modules forward slash dot bin and all the binaries for your project are in that folder and when you are programming in the npm scripts you can just say prettier in there and it will automatically look in that .bin folder. It's kind of on it's kind of appended to the end of the path when you're running like NPM stuff. Yeah. So you've also got like you can get like build tools like prettier or linters or things to build code or watch things. You can you can get all of those as well with it. And you know that when someone else checks out the project, they can run npm install, they'll get all the same versions in quotes kind of they'll get similar versions but there, there are versions listed and depending what you say you'll get they'll get all the same stuff download it all and it should just all work which is the, which is a dream and it is pretty reliable in general if you've got the same node version it's there's a really good chance there's a good really good probability of it working whereas some of these other things it's kind of and having executable things is really handy as well. yeah i was going to say that's something that definitely uh you're not going to do... Well, I guess you could do with Maven if you wanted to, but I don't know why you would. It's not set up for that, really. No, and I think that is nice. Um, yeah, because whenever you're using something like Maven, I guess the C-sharp one's similar. You're, you, they need to have explicitly added support for Maven or that build tool, right? To be like, okay, as part of your package uh, stage or whatever they call it, mm. run these sort of pre pre-run, post-run things, and it can get quite complicated. So like an example of a language which I like that has a package manager that I have yet to really get to grips with, maybe someone can educate me, is Python. So Python has a... You can create a file. The default, there are... I know there are other extensions to the package manager. So the package manager is called PIP, P-I-P. And then you can save all your dependencies into requirements.txt. Yes. But by default, PIP is like used in a global manner. Which, especially given the people that generally use in Python for uh, data science, especially, which is one of the most common use cases, are n- not what I would call then. They're, they're not sort of hardcore programmers. Mm. They're, you know, 
the npm way where you're like, well, if you run npm install, it will just look for this file by, you know, this package.json file and it will store, install what's ever in there. Python is like, you need to run pip and then pass that file as the as a parameter. That just seems mental. But yeah. there, I know there are other things. But there's no, the and thing, they'll install globally then as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you have two projects which need different versions of a thing, like your kind of whole machine, you're just upgrading all these things and like one project's going to break when another one... It's, that's just mental. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the people will probably say, oh, Python has this other third-party thing, but like in, in Node and NPM, it's the default. So yeah. like, so like you, you want packages with JavaScript, you're going to use NPM or Yarn. And Yarn, Yarn is just really a lightweight wrapper around NPM from what I've seen that, that's a bit faster and has some extra caching. But it's not fundamentally a different package manager. It's more or less the same. It's a different tool on top of the same source, right? Yeah, yeah. So it uses the same repositories. Yeah. So it uses the same backend infrastructure. It's just, it's basically like the binary I actually don't, I don't know. Actually, I think this is probably actually incorrect, but the way I think of it is the binary, the, the, the NPM thing you download and run NPM on the command line. Yarn is another one of those. Yeah. I yeah. think there is a little bit of backend infrastructure, but I know they're still getting the packages from NPM. So whether they've mirrored NPM, or, but it's basically still NPM and you're, you're still looking at NPM.com for your packages. And it they added a .lock file to lock down spe- which specific versions of things you were using after they were all resolved, which RubyGems had originally, which was a really good feature. But then it's... As in you don't specify the version ahead of time. So you specify the version in the package.json still. Yeah. And then the .lock file is like a much more granular version of like what versions everything's are. I actually don't actually completely understand what it's for, but I think you can get all the packages from the .lock file. Right. So it's kind of because the problem. I think the problem, or maybe it was an initial problem when it was early stages of NPM, but the way it would default to saying, whenever you picked a package, it would generally say like something like, "Just give me the latest or latest within a patch release or something." And then yeah, yeah, you get this weird. Symbols. Those symbols are there's a hat and a tilde. I get a bit confused. But, I th- I th- but then I I, th- I thought that was really annoying. But I've got a sneaky suspicion that Maven has the same set of symbols. And you yeah, just never yeah. use them. Yeah, yeah. So because so it, it weird in Maven, you'd always be like, "I want version X." But in NPM, it seemed to be anyway that it, it used to be anyway that it would be like, oh, well, you sort of want just major version two and actually will give you any minor version, which I think was part of the complexity around the dependencies, right? Is that you're not actually hard coding the specific version that you want. You can. Yeah, right? I, so I think you can. Flex, but yeah. by default, so there's there's instructions to add things, to install and simultaneously add them to the package.json file, which Yarn has, mass- so Yarn has made that by default. As a design decision, so when so it's very difficult to in Yarn to install things globally and not just get them in your package.json, which is what you almost always want yeah. because you want your buddy to check out the project for things to work. So you, the default commands in Yarn add it, and there are special commands in npm you have to add some extra flags. But Yarn Yarn's been amazing because it's basically lit a fire under them, and I think they've got a bit complacent and they've started adding all these features, and then npm are lagging but they're adding them too so npm's getting better because of because you facebook are built yarn mm. so that's really cool but yeah i think you can specify exact versions but why you, would you ever not specify exact versions because I, I think all of these issues that are occurring is because people aren't doing that right yeah yeah i guess if they were locking in specific versions then this wouldn't have happened yeah yeah but i guess by default it's probably if you lock in a specific version versus saying i'll allow the latest minor so in sem, sem what's it called semantic Sender. semantic yeah. versioning which is where you have major minor patch yeah. so like 1.1.1 um you can say that last 
the the patch, so the last dot one, mm-hmm. you can say if there's a dot two released, I'll take that. But that, but that but that's that relies explicitly on the person on the other side a knowing what semver is and then b yeah, doing yeah. it properly. And a lot of npm modules are pretty bad with yeah. they release patch releases. They don't follow semver basically. I, I'm not I'm not a library developer. I'm an I would. I'm what I call an application developer. Mm. So it's quite rare that I'll actually release a library. But I do vaguely understand what Semver is. And I, I know that they shouldn't be releasing patch versions if they're making breaking changes. And I know that they also, yeah, yeah. they do sometimes do that. I, I've read th- I've read about this somewhere else. I can't remember where I've read about it, but it's basically saying, it make, it's making that differentiation. And as somebody as an application developer, you sort of have free reign to do what you want because it's only you that you're affecting. But the point where you have a library or a framework that you're, making available to other people that's actually quite a big responsibility and part of the reason coming back to this event stream issue that i think it became for this guy whoever he is it just became too much for him he's like i don't want to maintain this anymore because to do it properly i think actually takes a lot of time you've got to be like you know follow semva is you know is a 101 for me Mm -hmm. like you can't release anything if you're not going to follow that uh as a library obviously an application you're you're free to do whatever you want you you know but i think i think it feels like some of it in the JavaScript community is everybody trusting each other a bit too much. Yes. Whereas I think if you come in from an with an enterprise mindset, yeah, yeah. you trust nobody. It, it, it's a. I don't know what the mentality is, but there is an element of balls to the wall. It will just work. Mm. And if you're building prototypes, it's it's amazing. If you were building a thing in a bank, which you were like, this is never going to break, then you would you it gives you a lot of rope to hang yourself with and you'd need to have some practices that you implemented. Yeah, and, and that's the point I was trying to make, right? Is that the, like, if, if coming from a, an enterprise standpoint into JavaScript, for me, I guess, because that's mainly where I've worked, although I have worked at startups, but taking that same mentality is that you're you're always coding very defensively. You're assuming that you can't necessarily trust that anything that you're using if people are doing it sensibly right so you've got to be like right i want version x of this version y of this and i'm not changing anything until i know it's going to work yeah for me saying that there's a package manager that you're using where it might not take the exactly the version that i've been developing against for me is just reckless you could now i know you're saying yarn does do that correctly which makes me a lot happier about it you can yeah people were in the aftermath of this event stream thing people were saying oh well when i upgrade packages i diff like all the implications of that which is something that i would well, never ever do like that's great but i can imagine actually if you really wanted to get serious that's probably what you need to do you, you need to you need to be like right, we're upgrading a bunch of stuff what codes change what are we actually bringing in well i think i think there is look i mean i'm not saying that okay yeah diffing everything is a little extreme but what i'm all i'm saying is is being pragmatic about I'm running version 1.1.1 here. Let, do we want to switch to 1.1.2 for A, a bug fix, or B, some feature? Yes. Let's actually just explicitly switch it and test everything. If if nothing, if it doesn't compile with 1.1.2, then we stay on 1.1.1. Yeah, yeah. There's a tool called Green Thumb, I think, which will detect NPM changes to repositories, upgrade them, run your build and test suite, see if everything works and then does a PR and merges it automatically. So it's like it basically automates upgrading things because otherwise... But I still think you need a manual step there. Like I think at the point where you say, you'd say this is passes, then I'd be like, okay, that's great. I'll manually merge it. This this particular problem that happened where this person basically 
put some dodgy code, like malicious code in a library, would be difficult for any... I don't think I know of a mechanism in any of them to fix that. The problem with NPM that makes it worse is that there's so many transitive dependencies. There's so many... Like, the number of dependencies in a project can get so much higher than anything else I've seen because they're they're so... There is more of a focus increasingly on depending on things which don't have a high number of dependencies themselves to keep the transitive dependencies down. But that, like, I had no idea I was depending on this thing. Like, yeah. absolutely no idea. And I was probably depending on it more than once, actually, I reckon. But be surprised. if everyone was fixed on a fixed version, no one would ever have got the broken version, right? Until they explicitly upgraded. Yeah, I don't know why... I don't know exactly how it works and why that's happened. Because... But it, but it, the problem is the entire... Like, you could be like, tomorrow, right, me as Richard, I'm going to... Specific, like, like I'm trying to argue here, right? I'm just going to hard code all of my version numbers and I'm never going to upgrade yeah. versions manually. But the problem is the way NPM has grown, every dependency you're depending on might have that, except any minor transitive yeah, dependency. Yeah. Well, I'm guessing that's what's happened yeah. in this case. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. the, the event stream dependency had a, like a, oh, I'll just upgrade the patch version. He's yeah. released a dodgy patch version. Yeah. And so then they've had. Yeah, and that's really hard because what what were developers supposed to do everywhere? Like hard code a patch, particular patch version of this piece of this this dependency they had no idea they were using, and you'd have a list of t- you know ten thousand things. But that's what I'm saying. I think if because of the way npm started out, people have d- ha- there are these thousands and thousands of libraries that are building up on this assumption that might like for example patch version increases are okay, but actually it probably shouldn't be like that, right? It should be everybody's hard coding to a particular version and somebody somewhere has to make a conscious decision of your the thing that you own to upgrade yeah, your yeah. dependencies. Maybe they should just change the defaults. Yeah. I don't because I think the default is just to accept patches. Well, that's what I mean. And that, I think it, it's taking that ownership of who's responsible for those upgrades away from the library that you're using to your yourself as yeah. the library owner. So with, with So basically, when you're working on modern JavaScript stuff, you would hopefully use npm for all your dependencies so you can lock in the versions whereas the old way was kind of using script tags which is not a yes. good yeah, yeah, practice yeah. that's like kind of crazy but you were where you would have like you basically say go load this script from this http address and and i guess that it kind so, of so the, the reason that still is is relevant right is that another big problem with javascript is that you how would I describe this problem? Well, the big problem, I think we actually touched on it last week. And we, the, you're writing JavaScript, you're then converting your JavaScript into a different type of JavaScript yeah. and then running that. So you're getting all these packages in and then you're saying to this web pack, build this all together into a different JavaScript and then run that. And yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. you're using a language, you're writing in a language that then has to be converted into itself, but in a different representation. <laughs> into an older version of itself. Yeah. Well, into an older version, but then also yeah. including all these other libraries. Yes. And I, I I think that's, I mean, the library system, in terms of adding functionality, I completely agree with. Like, you, you shouldn't be reinventing the wheel for, you know, 90% of stuff. Yeah. Do you need an is-even package? Probably not. No. But, you know, I would imagine 95% of packages that you're going to include, there's a, there's a legitimate reason saying, I don't want to write, uh, you know, whatever it is. So maybe a fairer comparison, just to, just to like, come to its defense a little bit, is if you look at Node which is probably really closer to something like C-sharp or Java because it's server-side. Mm. Actually there now, if you're using the latest version, you'll get a very up-to-date version of JavaScript. And aside from one language feature, 
which is the quite important. Thing. The, yeah, importing. I think you said that last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, importing. Aside from importing, you get pretty much everything that I would want. Uh, it's pretty modern. It's not got completely bleeding edge language features. But the the problem was before that the in 2015, the bleeding edge language features then were like really basic things that were in most other languages. Whereas now the bleeding edge, I'm like, I don't even, I've not seen this mm. feature before in another language. So I'm not really that bothered where it's, so now all the, you know, stuff like lambdas with arrow style lambdas, string interpolation. So you can have backticks and then put um, code in the middle of a string, mm. um, like really handy, useful um, like dot, dot, dot operators in like a number of places to help with like objects and arrays. It's really good. Um, that's all just in, except for import. So in and in Node, there's you basically don't really have a reason to to recompile the code except for this import thing. So so how come how come importing is such a key thing? How is that not a solved problem? It's I I have read because this has been bothering me for about a year and a half, and it's actually been a while. We everybody in the community is basically using import more more or less. Um, and yeah, it's not native in Node, which is crazy. And it's and it's been built in as an experimental feature for I think three versions in a row, and it's not yet non-experimental. I'm now using it, yeah. not in production, and it's been fine. But you have to suffix the files with a .mjs instead of .js, mm. and it's some uh, it's some it's something which I did read about. Apparently, it's quite complicated to do with the the two types of files are very separate. And so it needs to really understand like these ones are modular files that are going to use import export and these ones require, and you can't mix the syntax at all. So you can't do a require and an import in the same file. Right. So you, so you have two different sets of files. You can import a requiry style file from an import file and vice versa. Though. But yeah, they haven't added it by default. Whereas I kind of feel that at some point they're going to need to just bite the bullet because clearly this new syntax is a bit better. But but clearly importing is a is a key feature that it's been missing since require well, JS existed about eight years. Well, ago. requiring an import are kind of the same thing. So requ- well, that's what I mean. But it's not like it's not a new thing that you're importing external libraries, right? This yeah. has been a problem for a long time, and the first solutions to those were uh, Babel and um, now Webpack, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but, but I, I just it, it it seems difficult to me to understand why. That hasn't been a primary focus, I guess, because you were saying such basic language features were missing. They've prioritised those first, I guess. Yeah, I think this one's hard. I think that's because they've they've had it in in the same way for like since Node nine, and they've now released eleven. Right. So there's a flag dash dash experimental dash modules, mm. which will just basically make it all work. But it's the fact that it's under that flag <laughs> means that you can't really use it with like client work and be like, why did it all break? It's, it's strange coming from, I guess it's a different type of language. It's hard. I mean, actually, I, I know a lot of people won't know KDB, um, but I feel I feel it is unfair comparing it to something like Java because a lot of this na- this really basic stuff is, is just a given, but that's also because it's a compiled language. And it, a lot of... The way JavaScript seems to have got around its problems is by turning itself into a compiled language, even though it's just compiling into the same language. So the way this was something I definitely wanted to talk about, the history, I don't actually know the history super well, mm. but the it seems to have evolved. JavaScript, so JavaScript was like, back in the day, was like the programming language of the web, so you could do it in a browser. And there was like, I don't know what versions it went through, and it was kind of a bit crap, because apparently it was made in like three days. And it was, to be honest as like a proper engineer in inverted commas, it, it was a bit rubbish. And 
was quite rubbish until like 2010 or 11 and 12. And then I think, I'm not sure what spawned it, but because the web is obviously such a big deal and people at Google and Facebook and everywhere else were like, we need, there was no getting away from it because, you know, Google build a website as to Facebook. It's like part of their primary products, multi-billion dollar businesses. How can we not make this rubbish? And so a bunch of smart people set about being like, what language features do we, if we're going to have to use this thing, which we will, we will, because it's, because of where it is, because you, it's the only way you can run code on a website, which is something which you obviously need to do to build interactive things like Facebook. And to some degree, you kind of don't need it for Google, although then now they obviously do use it a lot. So they, what they did was they started changing the language really aggressively with this ES6, ES7. So proposed standards and then compiling the proposed standards back to the old supported version. And in general, the old supported version is normally called ES5. So like the, I don't know if it's the fifth version, but whatever it is. And the ES6 was the one that had most of the new features. And then there's like a seven, but there's kind of a bunch of stuff since ES5. And so they... So they iterated on the language like really aggressively compared to like Java or most other, or even Python. Like Python two to three has taken feels like mm-hmm. a decade. These guys were like, we're just changing this, and they almost they didn't have to ask permission. They were like, this is what we propose as a smart group of individuals, and we're just going to compile it backwards. So we don't even need, you know, IE or Chrome to agree with us. And it allowed them basically as a community to move forward with it. They haven't made many missteps. There's not many things they've taken in and then taken out that I've seen. So they, they I think their roadmap was pretty solid actually, but they did it quickly. But I guess as well, it, it, it goes to show, I mean, I, d- I actually didn't know that initial history, but it goes to show what happens if you just make up a language without really thinking about it. Well, initially, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, like it was it was poor. And I guess you still have a lot, in a lot of those jokes that you see are off the back of, those original features that you can't get rid of, right? Like yeah, false, yeah. equal, 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 null away. There's a yeah. lot of like legacy of like stupid things. And you and I guess a linter sorts you out because it's like, just don't do that. Yeah. But, but And in general, yeah, they've added things like having constants so that, you know, you can't mutate variables and they've added nice function syntax. Um, async await and promises are like a really nice addition for like asynchronous style things. And the other thing that's really interesting about JavaScript I mean, not necessarily the view of the BBC, but the the standard library is basically non-existent slash terrible. And yes, from like circa 2000 and I mean, even even now, I would say actually it's lacking compared to like what I've seen in Ruby standard library is pretty awesome. Python's is definitely better. Nodes, stand, Nodes libraries are actually okay, but it's in the browser like the collections libraries, so the equivalent of... I know Java now has a lot of this stuff. C-sharp has it with Link. Yeah, they, I think Go has the stream stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and Ruby Ruby has a really good standard library, and JavaScript basically doesn't have much. They added map, so you can take a, like an array yeah. and then map over it with a function. But like what that meant was that rather than a bunch of doddy language people making one decision, so you get sort of like a... I don't know what you call that, but like a dictatorship of like this committee deciding. What happened was, is that people just started making libraries and putting them on NPM, well, not NPM at that time, but putting them on GitHub and people were just scripting them. And so there was like loads of co- natural competition. And then that eventually led to underscore, which was then sort of surpassed by Lodash, which is one of the best standard libraries that I've ever worked with. It's really nice, but it's weird because it's not built in. So you're kind of like... Mm. 
why you know why have we got this but that's happened with a lot of things in javascript there's not a native date thing this basic date support is basically non-existent yeah. so someone's built this thing called moment which does with dates which is again probably in my opinion in terms of like ease of use like it's world class good this for dates it's really good yeah i have used moment actually it's really it's really nice and easy compared to i've used like a little bit of like Yoda time in Java, Yoda time, Yoda time, don't you call it? Yeah, so that, I mean, so that's interesting, right? I, I was just thinking about it. I know we're not specifically talking about Java, but it, again, because I don't think it's actually a fair comparison. Um, but since the big push on, on JavaScript, Java also seems to have come a long way. And it's interesting that I, I don't have to look exactly at the dates, but it feels almost like they've happened at the same time. Mm. So obviously, I think we joked in the last episode about how we started university on Java 6 and we finished university four years later in Java <laughs> yeah. 6. Um, and Java 7 was out for ages and then 8 has been the standard for the last, you know, for two or three years. And now we're iterating quite quickly through 9, 10 and 11. And there's lots of new features coming out in each one of those. Yeah. Um, and it's just, I just thought it was an interesting, it's interesting that they seem to have, somehow it's almost, it's almost too good a, it's almost too big a coincidence that the acceleration of the lang- development of one sort of mainstream langu- language has led to uh, rapid development of another language as well. But what they've also done, just on that point that you just said there, they've actually taken in uh, these libraries uh, in Java. So, for example, Joda Time or Yoda Time, they have basically just copied that API and brought it internal, so it's now native. Oh, that's great. Um, the streaming stuff they did as well, because I think, I used um, Guava, Google Guava yeah. before that uh, and all the good bits out of that, like predicates and filters and stuff, um, basically to make it like link. Mm-hmm. They've just taken that inside internally and it's that's all great. just native. And, uh, it's strange that that's just suddenly happened because yeah. for so long it nothing happened. I don't know whether people just thought language development was a bit dull. So, so what I think is strange about JavaScript that makes some of that stuff that Java's done impossible is the fact that... I don't even want to guess, 5 billion people on Earth have this programming language installed on their computer in a browser. Mm. And so changing things is a different ball game to like if Java, like we're going to release a new version and, you know, I don't know how many, 2 million software engineers in the world are going to download it if they want to optionally and they want to go to Java 12 or whatever it is. So it's kind of a, that ha- those constraints have meant that packages, th- like third-party dependencies have been the way forward because it's hard for them to change. They, I mean, they have done it, to be fair, and Chrome has pushed it forward. But e- even now, if you want to support like IE11, which is relatively recent, really, you know, like so many things that are standard in ES6 that, you know, we've been using for three or four years still don't run. Yeah. So there's no, you're still going to need to transpile your code for the browser for, for the foreseeable future. And I think I think that's, it's surprising, actually. I mean, Google tried, right? Actually, I was thinking about, you know, you said Chrome there, and obviously now it's such a big deal. I was thinking, oh, it's uh, interesting that they didn't try and change change it. And they did, of course, but it didn't go anywhere, which was Dart mm. was their repl- JavaScript replacement. Yeah, yeah, I was looking in that State of JS 2018, which we can link to, but Dart is, like, very unpopular in yeah. that list. It's right down the bottom, yeah. It never, it never, it never no, no. really did anything. And it's interesting, then, that it, it stayed... Um, and I guess, I guess enough people are working on it that they've that there's been a a, a drive to make it better. Uh, and I think I think at the point where it's not this transpiling goes away, 
and that you can just natively include modules. I guess there's always going to be some sort of bundling. You you can't get away from that, but you know, browsing. Yeah, well, yeah, and I mean, Node. It should go. They're taking their sweet time, but in two years we'll be sat here, and I think there'll be no. Re- I'm already working on projects now that have no transpiling in Node, and it's. It sounds really stupid, but it's wonderful. But yeah. obviously, it's standard in almost every other language. Yeah. You, just, you either compile it using the stock compiler, or you just run it if it's scripted like, like a, a dynamic language. But so, how how do you feel on um, JavaScript JavaScript in the browser versus JavaScript in Node? For you, are they one and the same? Are yeah, you yeah. do you behave any differently in either of them? Or no, which is which is also pretty awesome mm. if you are that way inclined. Yeah, you can you can use exactly the same flavor. So like ES six. And when I was training developers, you know, like you'd finish training them in the browser and then you'd be like, right, we're going to write some node. And all it really is, is there are some additional APIs which you can't access in the browser, but all of the code is basically this, like, you know, you've, you've got access to like sockets and other file system and stuff, but just the same code. And it's, and the, and the language, the, the latest version of the language is like, it's, it's a really it's had a lot of attention the the, re, the reason i like this ecosystem is that a lot of smart people have clearly spent a lot of time making it better and it has a critical mass that i've not seen ruby on rails had this had this same effect they're the only two things that i've witnessed obviously i've only been programming for sort of i only went pro eight years ago so yeah. i i don't know beforehand perhaps it would perhaps there have been other things but it's just kind of like, oh, if you want to do a thing in JavaScript, you will Google the thing. Someone else will have already done it, and there'll probably be a module with a lot of dependencies, but there'll probably be a module, and you can just download and use that. So you spend very... If you actually just want to be productive and get stuff done, it's it's a pretty good place to be because you're just kind of like, someone else will have already done it because so many hundreds of thousands of developers, millions of developers, I assume, are using it. The ecosystem's massive. Google and Facebook have funneled especially facebook have had a pretty profound effect on it they they've they must have invested millions in some of the things they because with react they also have pushed a they've got some really top developers working on react that are earning i i I mean what's how good someone is at their job is not necessarily directly correlated to how much money they earn but i think it's a pretty good signal and these guys i think are probably earning like over two hundred thousand dollars a year i assume in the valley Hmm. and like they're they're basically they were like we're going to build react but then they also pushed the direction of javascript so away from things like require js and towards something called browserify which then sort of is webpack and they kind of how how importing modules was going to be managed on the web and they there's lots of other things like that that they've done where you're kind of like yeah these guys have like pushed it in a really positive direction and and there's so much competition between all these modules that the modules that win out i mean we kind of passed the point where they're all fighting now but like you know you have like there's healthy competition basically because there's so many people doing it there's so much competition and then competitions making better libraries which and as a developer basically i ha- i don't think there's anything you can work with that will give you su- a good ex- such a good experience and like a, so many libraries you can use because presumably there were competitors to lodash and and underscore beforehand and they all lost and those ones won and they're really good and moment the same and you know there are some losers but the, the winners are amazing and it's kind of there are lots of problems with it though as well which the learning curve for new developers because of this rapid period of change is still, if you were just coming into it, you you're going to get lost. Mm-hmm. And it's, 
it's even when I started as like a, you know, someone that had been developing in lots of proper engineering kind of, you know, backend languages, it was overwhelming the number of different libraries and things and the build system felt like it was changing every other week. And Yeah, well, it was, wasn't it? it, it, and it yeah, and it yeah. was. And, and it's and to some degree, the amount of change, I think coming back to what you said, there's a, there's basically been a bit of a mentality shift in this community, which perhaps it sounds like I didn't realise Java was doing, was releasing things more regularly, but Node is re- released relentlessly. It's released, I think, every six months. Mm. New version, new, like clockwork. And they went through a period. At some point, they weren't doing what the community thought. So they forked it aggressively. And they were like, we're adding all these features because you guys are getting, you know, you're, you're messing it up. And so then they were just, it's called IOJS. It was about three or four years ago. Yeah, I remember just, hearing about that. They just released version after version after version until the node guys were like all right yeah okay we'll we'll go with your fork and we'll actually do all this stuff and it's just sort of it's pushed it along and i feel like we're through most of that now now it's i wouldn't say it's like it's still quick they're still releasing things at a fair old clip but they they've kind of got it got it to a good place and maybe it'll be easier for new people to learn maybe I guess the next big problem is having a nice IDE. I think we talked about that. I'm obviously circling back. What we talked about last week is still, that bit's quite hard, I guess. A lot of people use TypeScript, which is a different... Well, it's a different language, I guess. Different language, but... Typed. It's typed and therefore has a decent IDE with all the sort of support that you would want. I mean, I guess that's that's another concern, I guess, or weakness potentially of JavaScript is the lack of type. Yeah. Or the lack of uh, strict, strict typing. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that gets in your way i assume you just deal with it but but do you think it'd be nicer if it did have i think strict it, typing i think it depends who you are so for me in my old age i'm a little i'm quite pragmatic and what i that i tend to do a particular type of development now which tends to be making things work for people quite quickly so kind of in a more startupy than an enterprisey kind of a way and for that TypeScript, I don't think would offer me that much. If I was working in like a big organization and you wanted to be damn sure everything was going to work, then maybe TypeScript, then it just comes down to like, do you want a typed language versus a dynamic one? And I think probably certain things are better for certain jobs. There's definitely an overhead to TypeScript. I've used it a bit and I've seen other people using it. When you import other libraries, you need to make sure you've got the types. And if you don't, then it's like, you have to cast everything all the time. And, and like a lot of, I'm sure a lot of TypeScript people will be like, oh no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But like you, there'll be that module you want to use that's like, just doesn't have the types. And then you're kind of stuffed. It's, you, yeah, I've to, seen that. Yeah. You've got to add the types yourself, which I mean, it's like, and you can argue, oh, I'll just add the types myself. Well, that's one thing that I do not have to do because I don't have types. So yeah. it's kind of like, and it's also like when you're using lots of little things, you'll look at a code sample in in pure js and you're you can just copy paste it if you're in typescript you've got to basically convert that bad boy and and really what i'm going for is the path of least resistance with the most people it's kind of like it's kind of critical mass is the phrase i would use you're kind of just on the bandwagon with everyone else and there are some downsides to that but there are also some really big upsides because you know if you want a library and you want it to work it's probably going to work with regular js and maybe it will work with typescript so you kind of just like... But in terms of maintainability, you're losing something, right? You, By not having types. You definitely are. And you, you can get a few more bugs for sure. Like you can always get... Linting kind of helps with some things, but yeah. And maybe that will mean you have to write more tests if you're that way inclined. 
Mm. I think where I think where perhaps it gets a little bit more difficult is if you said to me, you need to write all your server-side code in Node, which I think is something that you would probably really not want to do. Uh, but No, I probably wouldn't, no. No, but I think... Um, I, I appreciate the benefit if you are somebody who writes JavaScript. I mean, it's, it's an obvious... Um, you don't have to learn another. You don't have to learn another language, yeah. right? Which is great. I mean, you can also share code. And yeah, you can, yeah. Which is pretty cool. I mean, it, I guess it's it's practically how much code do you end up sharing? Yeah, it? sometimes some. You can. Yeah, I think server side node code is maybe a little bit more. It depends how much you're writing, mm. and it depends on the task at hand. There are some things that node is not as good at as something like java or c sharp but it's if you're writing something small it's definitely fine but like yeah the lack of typing and server side bothers me more yeah for some reason yeah so just just to be clear uh kdb is the same as javascript it's dynamically typed. so you were dynamically typed over today too um you can you can type certain things but you don't have to yeah um so like you don't define types of fun- of function arguments or function return, you don't done you don't define types of internal variables. They just get a type. Uh, the only thing you do type is is data structures, so tables, which is the main thing you use. You you can type columns. Yeah. Um, but you don't. So I mean, you have more types than JavaScript does. So you actually have uh, int long, decimal, Ooh. symbol, string. Again, we can go into all that, but you have a lot more. You have a few more types than you do natively in JavaScript, I guess. But it's the same, and it and it bothers me the same way. I think you just described uh, on the server side is the lack of types. Um, you get into a problem where, well, particularly in KDB, where you just get an exception that just says type because the type didn't line up, um, and it is a problem. And you've got to then it's your call, right? Do you defensively code around um, that lack of typing? Mm. So like. For me, public functions in a library, for example, some of the stuff I've open sourced, if I need it to be a specific type, you the first lines are, is the type what I'm expecting? And if it yeah. isn't, I'm going to throw an exception. Yeah. And I guess that's um, that's a personal call then, right? I think type versus static, is a type versus dynamic is is a classic engineering trade-off in most cases mm. for me. It's like, is one better than the other? Depends on what you're doing. Depends on, like, I think... I think in general, though, some people, I, I'm much more comfortable. I mean, before my last perm job, we, I was working at a financial institution that had a lot of important code in Ruby, which is obviously dynamic. And they were they were pretty happy. And, th- and to be honest, in terms of like dysfunctional code workplaces, I come from Java and this was way more, you know, like things broke far less often. And, you know, they but they were very talented you know, quite highly paid developers that were doing a good job. So I guess it kind of depends on, I think dynamic in general gives you more rope to hang yourself. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah that's kind what of, I was thinking. It protects you a little bit less. So it kind of depends on what you're writing and how much you care about protecting yourself and, and also the kind of programmer you are. And Because I, I think the way I get around, the th- I think the limitations, not the limitations, the, the, the dynamicness of, say, KDB or JavaScript, so I just code very defensively to, to counteract that. I code I code quite defensively, but usually not on types actually. I kind of just I take, oh, t- I mean yeah, not not I mean I'm not saying everywhere I'm checking no, the no, type I, of the thing. I do, yeah. I I'm quite I'm quite aggressive. So I really like guards in functions. So um 
So like where you you start a function and then you say like if this bad thing that I never thought would happen would happen, then I'll throw something or just yeah. return. Just you kind of you kind of just opt out. It's like what do they call it? A uni invariance, isn't it? But you like that's I think that's what they call it. But like where you where you just sort of say no, I'm out. Stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do that a lot, and yeah. I I use a lot. Lodash has well. some really good functions to keep things null safe. Mm. So like you can you can like. If you want to do this dot that dot this dot that, you can do that in a way that if if like none of that stuff's there, well, you won't get a null pointer. Yeah. It'll just return you like null or undefined or something. So that so yeah, I do do a lot of that. Yeah, I guess that's the, I think that's that's the way I do it as well. Actually, is that I will, it you know, I'll just I'll just return, I'll just bail out if something isn't how I'm expecting. I mean, in Java, for example, a good one to use against that is string, right? Because you can get a null string, an empty string, or a string with some content in. So yeah. if it's null or empty, you just go go away, or just return empty string back or something. You know yeah, what I mean? It's yeah. That sort of guard. It's the same, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of the same. You kind of know it's going to be a string, but then it could be null. In which case, yeah. yeah. So you kind of you do get some of, some of the protect. I know some languages have like question marks to say like yeah, this null- thing can or can't be nullable, which is yes. quite a nice feature. But it's basically just saving you that if at the beginning. Yeah, I guess. I guess if you, if you could just not have null. A lot of issues. I think you'd have a lot. You'd have a lot less. I think issues TypeScript there. has that. So if you don't say question mark, you can't. It, it can't be null. It can't be null. Yeah, which is what they then it then checks in the compiler, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then, yeah, I, th- I think. Yeah, I think I don't think it bothers me too much, though. No, I actually. I mean, I, like, I I'm coming from the side of making you defend JavaScript, but there there are a lot of similarities to to the language I spend my days in as well. So yeah, um, a interpreted b. Uh, dynamically typed so um and see uh, actually something you mentioned before n- no standard library so you know I, I feel i feel the pain that you're saying and i don't have a uh an e- ecosystem to to use so no i lose yeah. out as well yeah because I, I think that's the thing with javascript is it's it is the most I th- <sighs> once you become proficient with it i think it is as productive or possibly the most productive thing for building maybe not all types of applications, but certainly, obviously, websites, but, like, web stuff. I think even Node, if you want to get something going, if you want to build, like, a HTTP server, you can get that going in Node in, like, seconds. If you've done it before, especially, or if, you know, you're not, it's not swathes of code, it's just a little bit of code. And the thing I really like about JavaScript compared to, like, Ruby on Rails is there's there's not any magic. Ruby on Rails is quite magic-oriented, so there's a lot of convention-based stuff. Yes. So it's, like... Which is, to be fair, that's not Ruby, that's Ruby on Rails, in fairness. But it's kind of... But really, there was a... I think it's still the case. Ruby doesn't get used that much in isolation. Ruby on Rails is like... Probably most Ruby projects are Ruby on Rails projects. But they basically had folders for certain things. And then if you had a file in there, that it knows what that means. So then you're not saying all this other code. Node's very... I can't remember the word. It may be declarative, but you're like, you always say what you want it to do. Yeah. And you can read the program from start yeah. to finish. Yeah, then- which I think makes a lot more sense. I think that the magic way is it's it's coming into a project like that. You're like, I have no idea how this links together. Whereas at least, I don't know if you still use Express or something in. Yeah, in, yeah then, you know, you've got all your roots and everything and functions that are executing yeah, off can, the back of yeah. that in one file, right? The, the program starts on line one. And by the time you get to line 30, you can see what it's done, which yeah. I think is like, I think there's a lot to be said for that. There's, yeah, I think so too. That, that's, like um, Java had the same problem with like Spring. It's kind of like that. And I think now there's a lot of the new Spring stuff is like, look, we're just going to call some code to do some stuff. But 
I think where JavaScript is really good on the lack of typing is it's really, because JSON and JavaScript are very related, if you're handling JSON, which also happens to be partially because it's the webby sort of stuff, it's very common for APIs. Parsing JSON in JavaScript is like a dream because you can just, there's a function for it and then you've got it in a JavaScript object and it's just done. Whereas I used to spend a lot of time in, in typed languages being like, right, I need to define a class which has the same fields that the the JSON's going to have so that I can read this thing in. I know you can do it in a more dynamic way. In Yeah, maybe you didn't used to be able to, but yeah, I think um, Google's JSON, uh, they have a, a Java JSON parser. I think you can just be like get field, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, which is, <laughs> which is, which is much easier. Yeah, but I, again, those are relatively new. Yeah, so like I think... Um, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty strong. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we've missed. But that the re- I really just like it because of the critical mass thing, and because of the what the number of libraries and the 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 state of there's, there has going back to what you said about Java. There obviously has been a bit of a change in certain groups of developers with releasing things. Yeah, really regularly. The way they release React is fascinating and different to anything that. I don't know if anything that came before it, but basically they've never really done a big breaking release. They do lots of, they they increment the middle number. What's that? Major, oh, minor. They, they, they're on 0. like 17 now. Yeah. And they're just, they never, whereas what Angular did, they went from Angular 1 to Angular, so like 1.0, whatever, to 2. React is just, they'll break like one or two things and they don't really break that much. They normally just add features, but it is technically a breaking change. So they're like, oh, we'll, we'll put this on a minor and they just release it quite regularly. So as a person that's consuming their library, you've got sort of bite-sized upgrades that you can consume rather than like a rewrite. And I think actually, and React, React Native has released, they're on a number over 50 probably taking it too far react react is done brilliantly like you can upgrade a version of react and nine times out of ten nothing will break even in a really big code base because they keep it they really think about it and well i think that's what i think uh, you know you mentioned angular there i think that's what killed angular off wasn't it the yeah major re- i mean they basically said we've done it we want to completely change yeah. it and no one came with them basically. They, they they played it uh poorly in t- like game theory wise what they should have done was not told anyone they were working on the bloody new version and then everyone would have just carried on using it but then they said we're doing two and then it, they took ages to get it out and they explicitly said it would not be back yeah yeah so I think. everybody knew do we start a new project with like a beta version which isn't finished or do we use and this was like maybe for a year and a half or do we use the old version and then or do we go somewhere else or do we go somewhere else react and react i think just because react in that in that time we're just doing sensible little upgrades and there's an obvious upgrade path you kind of feel safe that they're not going to like nuke you and you and but there's a lot you know nodes the same there's there's a culture of like we're going to release things quite rapidly and be quite aggressive with releasing and that's some for some reason or somehow has then affected other some things. of the older people yeah. like Java. Yeah, I don't. Are now releasing every six months, I think. Or so we've had one eleven now, I think, and twelve is about to come out soon, I think. So it's like for, there's some things happened where maybe just because of like like maybe it's some of this excitement or um, interest in uh, these newer languages like JavaScript and, uh, uh, and these associated libraries that's just sort of it's sort of rubbed off on people. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it'd be, well, why don't we just why don't we just add um, streaming operations to Java and just be done with it? Why don't we add a a, a read line, you know, an interactive shell to Java? Let's just do it. Yeah. And then it's done. And 
uh, it's interesting that I, I don't know how, I don't know what necessarily what the, the, the what spawned that. Yeah, yeah. Spawned, but I think it's. Good. I mean, it, to be honest with you, it's good for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I think and for every developer. Really. As a, as a developer, it's like you want to like. I think small regular upgrades are just more convenient. Yeah. Like when you're telling your boss, "Oh, we need to upgrade this library," he or she does not give two hoots. Like what. You know, they don't want to... Like, all the customers that I do work for, if I said to them, oh, sorry, you know, Dave, we need to spend two weeks upgrading React version, they're going to be like, what's that? Mm. You know, they, they just... They have a website that they want to work. So, you know, like, smaller upgrades just give you that confidence. Like, oh, I can... You know, we don't need to upgrade React. And when we do, there'll be a se- sequence of small steps that we can follow. It's not going to be massively breaking. It's kind of in the middle. Like, they're breaking bits and they're, they're making p- significant progress. But they're not kind of, you know, they're not, they're not, they're not kind of making massive breaking changes, but they are making progress. Which, which is how you ended up in, in the enterprise world is, you know, Java apps stuck on Java 5 for 20, you know, 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Because people, they know that it's the upgrade is going to be a nightmare. Yeah. So they're just like, well, we just won't do it. It's not worth it. And then you get all the costs associated with, oh, Maintain we can't it, use yeah. this library because, you know, we get... I mean, React Native is probably... They they, they were releasing that every two weeks, um, the, the minor version, which is which is the minor version, but it could almost be a major version. It's... it's They break... But everything... Lots of things would break. And so every two weeks, and that that is a burden. But that project's an unusual project where there are other things moving that they don't control, like Xcode and Android. And so they're having to release versions because it's like, oh, maybe you want your stuff to run on the latest version of iOS that's just come out. That Apple have just released. It's kind of like fair play. But yeah, that project's not governed as well. React is governed really well, and React Native is not governed as well, in my opinion. Are they are they still owned and developed internally in Facebook? Yeah, yeah, which is part of the problem that they've they've kind of half heartedly open sourced it. Whereas React is very open source, in my opinion. But, it's still owned by Facebook, but still, yeah, the, the license is good now. Okay, open. Don't know MIT, I think. Yeah, but um, because it was a dodgy one, and then React, but it's all it's all properly open source. But it's just the way that React Native's built. It's just it's a more complicated endeavor, to be fair, because there's just more moving parts. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we've not covered. Is there anything, any other burning questions you've got for me, or I've got for you? Um, Would you ever use it? I so I there are bits. Thing is, the way I use it now, even the way I use it now, is the same way I've used it, and that's not just that's not because. I don't appreciate the way that you can develop things. It's just that I don't have the need to make anything more complicated than just a simple JavaScript file that gets mm. na- natively interpreted. Um, I have, a, I have, I think, one open source project that basically is like a Q, uh, KDB code uh, documentation viewer. So like Java doc, like the Java doc viewer yeah, for yeah. Java doc. That's cool. one of those for KDB basically. And that's just a simple JavaScript file that uh, JavaScript website that just loads data from KD, from the KDB process. Um, so I I appreciate it. I just don't really like... I just don't... I think the problem with web development is the problem I've always had with development. I don't really care that much about the visuals of a... Or a, like, I'm not really that interested in website design because it, spend, it means a lot of time yeah. worrying about how it looks. And my experience historically with um, layouts of that stuff is it's just a lot of effort. And I'm just yeah. not. That, I'm not that. I'm not that way inclined. I don't particularly what, enjoy. What it. you're trying to say is you're a developer's developer. 
<laughs> it's funny when, when I was training people and they come in with no bias, they can't program at all. Mm. They start programming and the first thing we would teach them is like HTML and CSS. So like all the sort of stuff you just mentioned. And then we would get them onto proper JavaScript. And then after about six months, they'd be doing some work and they would just show, not all of them, but some of them would, sh- would have that same attitude. And it's interesting, like they become a developer, what I would call a developer's developer. They're like, CSS is just a waste of my time. <laughs> spend about five years trying to move something three pixels and you're like, yep, we've, we've all been there. Yeah. I, I think that I do a bit of both. I get a lot of satisfaction still out of building things visually because I, I actually didn't start my career. Although when I used to build C-sharp front ends for people, I like that. I thought I can, you know, I can, I can show my mum. Yeah, kind of yeah I think that's, there is something to be said. Show, show, show your girlfriend, show your wife, show your mum kind of thing and say, look at this thing I built. And you get that sort of tangibility of like, it's in the real world. Whereas if you write some sort of demon process that runs in a black terminal somewhere, you know, down the pub, I can tell you. Or, yeah. You know, I, wrote, I wrote this heck of a program the other day and it's, it's, you know, it's spitting out log files as we speak, but it's kind of... See, that's the kind of stuff I like. Yeah. But I've always been a lot more low level than you, I guess. And I think that's why I like yeah, yeah. some of the reason I like doing KDB and some reason I like I like a lot of the sort of low level yeah, we are quite networking diff- and server stuff. Yeah, I, we're, I, we're quite different been. like that. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm, I am closest, quite close to the highest level programmer I think you could be. Anything that's nitty gritty, I'm mm. kind of like... You didn't join me doing advanced computer architecture. I did not. <laughs> I don't. I know vaguely how processes work, but I, I kind of like. I like. Uh, is it like a high level of abstraction? I just like to like. Mm. Yeah, like I don't like. I, I don't want to have to think about pointers, and I don't want. I want a language that I just want to think about solving real problems. And the thing, the thing that I really think JavaScript is strong at is like if you want to build, especially prototyping, but if you want to build a thing quite quickly and get it to market quickly and that's your trade-off that's the set of things you want and you and maybe robustness i'm not saying you couldn't write really robust i'm sure you could but you'd have to put more effort in but if you want to build if you want to build something really fast because npm is so strong you're just going to go well i need this module and that module and i've got react and once you know what you're doing you can you can the productivity i have in in Node and, and JavaScript is, is so much higher than anything I've worked in before. And I'm, I have a history. I am, I'm, a, I'm fickle. I'm a, I'm a bit of a floozy with, uh, with uh, programming languages. And I, I didn't stick to one thing. And I, I actually took jobs because they, they had different things. And uh, I've got stuck with JavaScript, mm. and it may be because I've reached thirty. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, I'm, definitely got to. Be and I'm going to just, I'm just going to bat out the end of my career for the next thirty years using JavaScript, even when it becomes defunct. But I think it is because it just keeps me coming back. There's also quite a lot of change within it, which keeps mm. it kind of fresh. Like it's different, it? very different two or three years ago from what it is now. So it's kind of changed anyway, and there are new libraries and new ideas, and it, the a lot of the hotness is. I mean, for front ends. I, I mean, I guess as well, the other benefit is that right now it's the way to, you know, when you're talking about building new stuff that you're going to show, I mean, it's a website, right? There's no other, I guess React Native helps with that, but there's no, you know, you don't need to be doing anything else to be able to build something to show to people, right? Or demonstrate or prototype. No. Unless you're doing some, like you say, some geeky back end thing that's, you know, I don't know what you'd be doing where you don't need any sort of visual output. Yeah. 
at that point, yeah, maybe you would consider something else, but yeah, maybe you yeah. wouldn't. But I'm most likely to consider something else for server-side things. Yeah. So like Python for like data science, for like if I needed to have a lot of data in memory or like yeah. maybe I'd look at like Java or C Sharp. And yeah, I, I, so I think it does depend. But uh, it maybe just be, a, I'm just saying it might just be a product of the current situation of the environment. Yeah. Not in a wider sense. There's, there's been a trend as well where uh, they used to call them fat GUIs. So like mm. um, desktop. De- desktop applications built with like, you know, Java or C Sharp have kind of gone out of favor because actually the web has advanced so far that if you want to build an app which is on someone's desktop, like Slack, Spotify, you know, these these are like very rich applications. They're not built natively anymore. They're all actually built on the web and then just packaged up and they all run in JavaScript, but just on your machine. And so it's kind of like It gives you that cross-platform, right? So basically, if you use if you subscribe to React Native, which does have some So React Native is basically React, but for building apps. And you can kind of, although this is not necessarily true, build an application for iOS and Android with the same set of JavaScript code with some caveats, which we can talk about another day. And so you kind of got every all types of UI in JavaScript if you use those. Yeah. You may, I think the only other, you could make an argument for iOS and Android if you're like, if you're a big company, especially. You might, well, you might explicitly develop your uh, phone apps uh, natively. Even Facebook haven't fully React Native, which I think says a lot. I mean, I know they have an app that like, three billion people use whatever it is but yeah they i don't think they've moved whatsapp right right. so if you've got and the thing is if you're that big a company hiring two full sets of teams and that it's fine yeah but when you're small though the benefits of react native and that's where most of my work is so it's kind of like you know we're going to hire two sets of developers or are we just going to get rich to build this thing it's like yeah and again i guess that's the state of the world at the moment right yeah it's kind of there's nothing better for that and that the other thing actually we haven't talked about is the fact that a lot of the libraries on the front end but really in everything lean towards functional programming and that's another reason that it's been very sticky for me because as you know we started in haskell as our first programming language we did at university and i like functional programming and you can program javascript quite naturally in a very functional way you the object-oriented support in even the latest version of javascript i still think is quite weak Mm. Uh, there you can't have last i checked you can't have private uh, fields so i mean that's pretty terrible in my book that's, yeah that's yeah po- that's poor like encapsulation out the window so i think i mean maybe you can now but th- th- there's lots of things where i tried to write classes in the way i would normally write classes and then was like oh i can't do this thing oh i can't and i was working around things whereas functionally functions are first class citizens yeah. so you can pass functions around yeah. you can you can do all these awesome things you can um, there are like libraries to stop you from mutating things. There are inbuilt la- language constructs to clone things and therefore not mutate them. The spread yep. operator, yeah. And so, th- and the way that React and Redux works is very functional. And Redux is like a functional state machine where you have to use pure functions. And so that kind of keeps me interested in it because it's like yeah. You can you can. I think the functional side of it is is very interesting, and I think not being able to use functions as a a native part of the language, like be able to pass them around and stuff, I think is a weakness of um, Java specifically. Yeah. Can you do it now? Maybe. Well, you can do lambdas and stuff because they have the double colon. Can't pass them. So I don't think you can. You couldn't, but maybe. You well, you can have, there's a function class. C sharp you can though, so we can give it. 
Yeah. Yeah, you have to for a long time. So they they that's Yeah, so maybe just a specific a specific issue with Java there, I guess. But um yeah, it's it's yeah, and again, highly readable with KDB. Because yeah. functions are a native yeah, once, native member as well. Once you get them as a native thing. You don't really want to lose them. No. Because being able to pass functions around is very nice. It's very it, yeah, it's certain it's one of those things that use with caution and use in certain scenarios, but yeah, it can be it can be um there are certain patterns of programming which I guess for async programming in JavaScript you need to be able to do that, right? Because you have to pass in callbacks. And that's why making it in Java is a pain in the arse. Because you're like, yeah. oh, I want this thing to f- this future or whatever it is, and you've got to pass in a runnable. Yeah, and that's nuts. And you're like, well, now I've got to build an anonymous inner runnable class with a run function, and it just it gets so messy. It's pretty something that JavaScript definitely has is it's not too verbose in general. Mm. I wouldn't say it's the most concise, but it's pretty good. It's a it's a nice level. I don't feel like there's often a lot of rubbish in there. There's maybe some exceptions, but. Mm. And async await as well has been done really well. Then they've clearly copied it from another language, but it's 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 wonderful and it works pretty well. There there are a lot of there are a lot of issues with JavaScript, and I think in like another two years, uh, yeah, a lot of it is that daunting. I want to set up my first web project. How the hell do I compile my code? And there is yeah. not a particular Webpack is a monster, and it's become it's a problem, of, right? It feels like Git to me. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but Git. I'm so surprised that Git won the version control wars compared to all the other because it's it's pretty difficult. Mm. Like it's not like when we teach people to use Git, it's it's like they struggle for like months, and and I don't feel like they're stupid. I'm like, no, that's it's pretty. It, there's a lot of different commands, and it doesn't, yeah. and it's one. And yeah, I, I think there's probably there's probably worth a, a discussion about that separately. Actually, on on that, well, I yeah. I Git generally, and I think I think the reason it won was mainly because GitHub. <laughs> Turned up, yeah. I, I I think, I guess the Linux community massively embraced it because they made it. Because because that, but, minus I mean, I, yeah. I, but then I think like the Linux the Linux kernel community are. I mean, they're very they feel they're quite trends, isolated. They're not trendsetters. But there's no, you're not like you're not like talk. It's not like oh, I was talking to. Yeah, that yeah, Linux yeah. kernel contributor, but, and he was raving about Git. To be fair, you could imagine that they'd have made Git, they'd still be using it in complete isolation. Yeah, just, just not middle finger anybody. to the rest of the world. Yeah, and they're just yeah, exactly. They'd yeah. they'd be like, oh, we're all using this other thing, and they're like, no, 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 Linus made this thing, and he's god to us. So yeah. we, so it's kind of, I mean, it's probably. But you know, the only reason he wrote it right was because the tool they were using decided to start charging them. So Git, so Linus was like, sod this, I'll just write my own. That's amazing. So it came out of it came out of a. A legitimate problem. There's like that urban myth that he wrote it in like a weekend. Yeah. Like the parent, I was reading about it apparently. He kind of did, but then... Yeah, but he wrote like... He wrote like the really... Like he, what he wrote in the weekend are like the really, really basic ones. Like the fun, there's like a command line argument that will generate like the, the git hash and like will build the tree. So like commit didn't exist and fetch and push didn't exist. It was just like update index or something and all that stuff. But anyway, yeah. we'll talk about it separately. But... um. Yeah, I I, uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, it's interesting us talking about this because I think we both have, uh, oh, sorry, J- this being JavaScript because we definitely have different, very different opinions. And like you pointed out, we have different interests in computer science generally, right? Like like yeah. you were saying. We build different type of programs for a living. Well, for a living as well, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, it, but even separately from that, like... It, it, it's interesting. It's interesting to hear your side of it as you spend all day in it, trying to, you know, and the concerns I have 
basically coming off the back of that. So I think that is, you know, it's still, I, I definitely, I understand why you do it. Um, I just don't think I would enjoy doing it. We can convert you, yeah. <laughs> it's like a group of people outside that have kind of come in and... Yeah, yeah. Make but... you use NPM into your eyes, <laughs> Yeah. I think, I think um, it is, it's quite a friendly thing to use. They've... But you still don't have, you have that problem where if you were going to be like starting from scratch... Yeah, starting from scratch is rubbish. And the React guys have put together... There's a thing called like React scripts and a few other things, which is basically like start here if you don't know what you're doing and they have a webpack in them but you don't really have to care and it's mm. basically like a very easy it's like um, spring boot you kind of kind of it's it's just the build bit it's like this is how you're gonna like webpack and bundle up all your code it's that situation right where everyone heard of this thing that they need to use but then had nowhere to start yeah spring and then react is the same right like i want to use react but it's like well it's not quite that straightforward you take this sort of template yeah everything. yeah react is yeah react did a thing as well which we haven't talked about which was they they added JSX to JavaScript as like an extra language feature, which mm. is controversial, completely separate from React, but you could basically put sort of HTML in the middle of your code natively. So and if I said to you PHP... I somehow it's different. But it's the same. But it's, Be- it's It is not. the same though, right? Uh, because you have HTML and then code in the middle of it. It's like ASP as well. Yeah, that's... And JSP. This is like... This is... So I have to try and remember PHP. PHP is like... You put the angle percent. So you... you and then you put the PHP... So you're code. kind of coding in HTML. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, kaboom, I'm not I'm not coding in HTML anymore. I'm doing PHP. I'm doing PHP. This is the inverse. So this is like, you're coding along in JavaScript. Yeah. And then you can write a... I'm going to get the words wrong because my computer science degree is waning. They should take that that, that degree. But they, I think you can write literals. So you can write you can write an expression, which is like a, looks like a piece of HTML. So it'll be like angle bracket P, close angle bracket, you know, like hello. And then yeah. Yeah, you finish it off. And that is like a new type that they've added to the language. That's how that's how I think of it. So So like you have strings and you have numbers and now you have HTML stuff like as a type that you can just immediately, you can jump into angle brackets at any time. And that's the thing. So you can say like var x equals, and then you can say like, you know, angle brackets div. And yeah. you assign it to x and now x is a div. And that's that's so what JSX is. So it's kind of the inverse of of like a t- what I would call a template. I guess you're saying, but what you're, I guess that's, it's a separate discussion as to whether combining um, your sort of view with your logic in the same file is a good idea, right? Yeah, so when people when they made React and they were like, what we're going to do is allow you to assign HTML to variables and uh, there is sort of some templating features in there as well and then you're going to write views or like views is not the right word but you're going to write like what they call components. You're going to write like your sort of view logic and you're going to mix up code and, and HTML together just like stir the pot People lost their minds, and then I think they went away and had a look at it, and they came back and they were like, "This is like a game-changingly good thing." And since then, so like Vue.js does it, Angular doesn't quite do it the same. Mm. Angular doesn't do it in such a purist way, but because what React really is, and I think Vue and Preact and all of these sort of things is all it really is at its core is a function where you give it some data. And then it returns this HTML type, which I just mentioned, which they call JSX. And that is that defines like data comes in, um, like HTML comes out. And what React does is it runs all those functions 
and then puts the, the HTML on the screen and makes sure it's always up to date. So as the data changes, the HTML is just rendered on the screen. And that's all it really is. Like for- but, React, I don't, but React on its own doesn't do that, does it? Because there's other pieces that do the state change tracking and stuff. No, no, it does. It do, it, yeah, it does. So it does all the DOM diffing. It, yeah, but as in state tracking is in internally, right? Like you're going to be like, oh, this variable's changed. React doesn't track that variable, right? No. It, There's a Redux or whatever it is. So you can use Redux. JS but, and all that stuff. Yeah, React can do it. So React has a concept of state, which which does do that. Uh, and Redux just uses that. So Redux is like kind of an extra bit. But like you don't need it. So it will track all the things you can. You can write any app that you can write with Redux, you could write without just using React. And that's basically that way of writing UIs is, I don't know, I don't want to use the word addictive, but like, it's re- it's like, I just find it super fun because it's like really easy and like, it's very functional and you're just like, data comes in, UI comes out. Yeah. It's like, write them and then it just like, magic happens and it's on the screen. It's super cool. But yeah, they added, they added like HTML into the language to, for their own needs and now it's become really standard. But the, the JSX thing, which is what this language feature is called, is technically agnostic to react it's like a set which is very good like clever of them they, yeah it's not proprietary at all i don't think you can use jsx with something else yeah i guess because realistically right you know you don't know how long react's going to be around for no them. yeah the next new new thing could come around at any point i think the other op- options do still use jsx i assume i've not seen them like, i think um preact probably does is it ember js yeah i'm pretty sure that uses something that looks very similar yeah I I had played around with it ages ago, and I feel like it's whether they call they might not have called it JSX. I think they could, I think they have a different suffix, but it, it's very similar. But it's yeah, it's um, it's become very very popular. When I was looking at that state of JS, it's 2018. It's React is like crushing it still. So it's like yeah, I get well because I think the majority of its use is still for displaying web pages in people's browsers, right? So DOM manipulation is still pretty important. Yeah. Not, not a thing that's going to go away just yet until we get the VR headsets. And even then, we may use it. Who knows? Yeah, I think um, it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Because I, st- I, st- I still think as a at the core language itself, although it's been made a lot of improvements, it started from a pretty poor base. It did, yeah. And that's the problem. And I wonder at some point whether that gets the better of it. Well, the plan is, uh, I guess, WebAssembly for a long time, but they, yeah. that doesn't seem to... I haven't seen much progress on that front. What, yeah, ASM.js and all that stuff, right? Yeah, so that can go away once WebAssembly's done, yeah. and you'll be able to just write C Sharp and compile it to this generic assembly for the for the browser. Mm. But not seen it yet. But no. The thing I would really like to see as well, whilst we're talking about JavaScript, is an M is a sort of. I don't understand why somebody can't build something like npm that just works for all languages. Maybe that's too much to ask, but I don't really feel like there's anything fundamental about the way npm works that should mean that. Yeah. I don't know. It would actually make a lot of sense with C++ because you are, you have to have all the headers and stuff. Mm. And it would actually be, and generally, having been doing it recently, you're always like, oh, where do these headers live? But if you had like a node modules folder, you'd be like, well, all my headers are in here. Mm. No, I don't know. I don't know. It would make a, yeah. It can build C++. I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works. I just watch it do it and I'm just amazed. But yeah. But yeah. I, I think that's JavaScript, unless you've got anything else. No. No, I was just... um. I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot in there we've been talking for a long time. Um, 
You can cut it all out later. Yeah. <laughs> just be, it'll just be one blank episode. <laughs> yeah. It'll be me talking about JavaScript for about like, 10 minutes. Like, so JavaScript, <laughs> the end. It's like Jazz has aggressively cut it all out. <laughs> it would just be you going, it's rubbish. <laughs> and, then, and then me flapping a bit. And then just like, over. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, that, not that we're biased. <laughs> but yeah, no, no, I, I think we're done. I think we're done on that. <laughs>